Yeah. So I have been fairly well useless uh, this week in <laughs> terms of uh, watching Football. movies or anything Football. else. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm in World Cup mode. I mean, it's main, mainly my mornings and afternoons. Yeah. Um, you know this because we were at a screening the other day, and I spent <laughs> the uh, the second half of the screening very quietly watching the England Belgium uh, game. Yet still uh, completely engrossed in a perfectly awful film. <laughs> so, the game was better than that. Uh, yeah, it was actually. Uh, although neither team played their uh, their big guns, so you know, remains I, to be seen. I, I happen to be watching <clears throat> when Argentina was yeah. playing uh, the, 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 the other day, and yeah. Maradona did the the, the two oh, fingered the, the, the double bird. <laughs> I happened yeah. to be when I was down with our friend Santiago, you know, from yeah, Argentina. Sure, I, and I'm looking at, at the screen. He does. Now I missed the gold by Messi. Yeah. But I saw that yeah. <laughs> because they played it like 45 times. It was you know, hysterical. Seriously, I I don't know what's wrong with that guy. Oh, I, I mean, I get a lot of mileage out of how much I despise Maradona, oh. and and uh, a lot of it is justified because he's just he's a he's a he, you know oh, he's, he's unrepentant. A, he's unrepentant. He's a blowhard, and he's a, he his bad behavior and his you know obese cocaine parties <laughs> and. Uh, you know, holding hands with Hugo Chavez, and you know, just being abusive and cheating, knocking. No, the no, goal see, in that's the one. Hand. All the other stuff, frankly, I don't really care. But he, yeah, he, he cheated, man. He just cheated. He just he cheated. cheated. They he never just... should have gotten past England in the uh, in the nineteen eighty two World Cup. He knocked well, yeah, the ball in with his you hand. Cheated. You cheated, dude. He knocked you it cheated. in with his hand. And you know, to me, it comes back to that. You yeah, but but still, all of that notwithstanding, you're still your country's ambassador of the game. You're mm. sitting there. You know, there's a camera on you, <laughs> and on the goal, rather than doing something magnanimous and no. gracious, really, you screen an obscenity at some random bird person <laughs> around you, and you flip them the double bird. The what? double bird, baby. What is wrong with him? Yeah, Maradona. Just, you know, you can take the boy out of the whatever. Sometimes and, it's genetic. Yeah, it's I don't Maradona. know. Maradona can't help himself. You know, Messi is such a class act, right? Yeah. He's so yeah, he's so yeah. classy. I think, you know, one, 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 you know, sort of like a yeah. makes up for the other. Just ever so <laughs> but, the, but, but, but the thing about it is, over the years, I've come to simply, I mean, now I think about it, you know, from the perch of 20 years yeah. on. Uh, and frankly, it would have been just, yeah, I don't, it would have been way less fun if he wasn't around. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not see, nearly as I much can't, fun. And, and the thing is, I can't excuse it because he's, because, you know, he quote unquote grew up poor. Because nah. all these guys no, did. everybody's poor. They all did. No, every every major soccer star. You know, it's the same like 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 Wayne Rooney in the UK. You know, uh, Rooney is just a South London bloke. Yeah. And he's rude and yeah. he's abusive and he's never gotten over it. Yeah. That's still no excuse for him yeah. either. Nope. nope. Uh, look, Cristiano Ronaldo, who is doing much better in this tournament than Messi so far. But Ronaldo, uh, we're not going to talk about movies, are we? No. We're just gonna, Who cares? You know, Ronaldo. There's, there's some great video. <laughs> this is this is what what I wish Maradona would look at. There's some great video of Ronaldo before the last game that they played. You know, they come out with the kids. You mm-hmm. hold hands with the kids. That's that weird thing that FIFA's been doing for decades now. You come out holding it, and there's some video of these two kids, little boy and little girl, and they're looking at each other, and they're looking back at Ronaldo, and they're just like giggling, like they can't believe <laughs> that they won the lottery that puts them right there. At Ronaldo's feet and uh, while they're uh, playing the Portuguese national anthem the whole thing and you know what Ronaldo does uh, he spots it and he looks down at them and he smiles and he winks and I'm like <laughs> it's charming there it is there are charming it's people. like me and Joe Green yeah. have a coke yeah, and a smile yeah. hey, you this know? is how classy That's he is like, when they unveil that perfectly awful bust of him 
Yeah. Uh, at the uh, the airport, yeah. which, which looks like an insane clown yeah. posse yeah. member. Yeah. Totally. He just stood there and smiled. It's it just it, it, you yeah. just took him. And then this is how even much classier he is. When they got rid of that one and unveiled the other one that's yeah. even worse, yeah. <laughs> he was still, he's like, you know what? This is, put them both. There you go. Because <laughs> he's that's like, it. my face is irrelevant. Who cares what I yeah. look like? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and yeah. then you got Maradona. Uh, so. Anyway, all right. All right. So enough, yeah. I, I'm, I'm enough with the Although World tomorrow, Cup. Although tomorrow, Argentina yeah. and... Uh, oh, tomorrow? Uh, Tomorrow's uh, games. Uh, uh, well, we're recording this on a Saturday, yeah. so... Yes, the uh, let's see. Tomorrow we have France versus Argentina yes, yes, yes. at seven a.m. our time, yeah. and then uh, which is gonna which I think France will handily win, but you never know. Unless Messi uh, is feeling good about uh, his last yeah. performance, you know. But you know, France has some. They've got so many deadly threats up. Front well, it's the thing really you do. always say. Those folks who you know they they play uh, yeah, in the southern uh, latitudes. Yeah, and they go to Europe. Yeah, and it's just a different thing. It's you know the, although Brazil has been playing good. Yeah, there's there's this the Latin American style and the European style, and then you know there's yes there's a, there's an African and an Asian style of play as well, which you you see. But it's it, the, the game is dominated by the philosophies of your and there's kind of two styles in Europe. There's sort of like the the Nordic style, and then there's the the total football style of the mm. Spanish and the Dutch and 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 the Portuguese, and uh, and then there's you know the Latin American style, mm-hmm. which is primarily governed by Brazil, but. Uh, the the thing is that the World Cup is not for you, you got to be one kind of player to play for a club when you play for you know two twenty like twenty four some odd games and you're playing for a whole season as opposed to now we've got to win a really compressed handful of games and you got to coalesce as a team with people you don't play with all year round in one month's time and ultimately really the the big challenge is you've got to win four consecutive games in two weeks mm. against the best teams in the world. That's it. Yeah. That's a whole different set of mental, you know, stuff, yeah. mental toughness. Uh, and, you know, it's a, di- it's a different kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. Everybody's dealing with it, but, you know, there it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about movies now. Yeah, now for we a moment, bored everybody about stuff. There. You know, we got a, we got a bunch of interesting uh, foreign titles. Uh, the things that you will not necessarily hear of very easily. And I'm going to I'm going to kick through a few of these real quickly. Uh, just so that people who have interest in this stuff will know that these things are out there. The first one, this is much more, this is the most uh, high-profile foreign title uh, of the week. This is a Francois Ozon movie, Double Lover, uh, from Cohen Media's uh, Contemporary Classics line mm, on I Blu-ray. Thoroughly enjoyed that film. It was played, played at the Cannes Film Festival. And uh, like everything else that Ozon does, and he's one of those French directors that just seems to be able to do no wrong, and he can just... You know, take something simple and, other, and turn it into something amazing. Anyway, uh, Double Lover is one of those kind of... Uh, well, it kind of shades, I mean, I mean if we're going to compare it to, a, to an American film for the heck of it, uh, shades of De Palma, shades of... I was going to say uh, De Palma, for sure. Uh, you know, a lot of different De Palma, actually, yeah. now that I think about it. But yeah. It reminds... It, it's more in the same tone as Swimming Pool, which he made some it, years and, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got that same thrillery vibe. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all sort of... It's all about a... Um, it begins with a woman who falls in love with her analyst mm-hmm. and goes into some very, obviously, you know, a, a woman, an analyst, male, female, you know, sex, sexual uh, dynamics, psychological dynamics, and then you go really deep and creepy. And, and The young and ridiculously beautiful Marianne, uh, Marianne Vach, how do you say her last name, Mike? Uh, oh my gosh! She's, 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 she's so beautiful, it's insane. And the opening it, scene—it's it's a tough pronunciation because I'm not sure. Because it's it's Marine uh, Vacht. 
Because it's not French, right? What it's is not it? French. It's like Romanian or something. Uh, and that opening scene in that movie, there's an opening scene in this movie, and she's sitting in that chair across from yeah. that analyst. And it's this long... Jeremy Renier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a, a single take. Every now and then they cut to him, but he never says a word. And she goes yeah. through this long, long, long... It's like, it's like four minutes long. Yeah. And it is absolutely riveting. Yeah. It's absolutely riveting. And it just it goes to show what you can do when you're a really good actor. Yeah. When you're a really good actor, you can handle a scene like that. Yeah. It's good stuff. Really good stuff. So bravo for Double Lover on Blu-ray from Cohen, uh, which comes with uh, not much by way of extras, just a Conversations from the Quad segment with Ozon and uh, and Marine Vach, or Bas, or ah. however it's pronounced. Um, slightly lower on the rung is a DVD of Back to Burgundy by Cedric Klapish, which is a lovely film. Now, Cedric Klapish, I, uh, I did a Q&A with him at the, uh, at Colcoa some years ago, and, you know, he did L'Auberge Espagnole and the three films that kind of followed after it, which are all very lovely and wonderful, all character-driven stuff, and, uh, this is about a, a, a family winery, and the three siblings, two brothers and a sister, who effectively inherit it uh, after their father passes, and all of the things that they have to deal with. They've got to deal with an inheritance tax, and they have to figure out how to pay it, and they've got to figure out how to, you know, do we want to keep it? Do we want to sell it? Do we want to run it? Uh, do we want to lease it? You know, it's all of these things. And you think, wow, that sounds like a whole lot about a boring bureaucratic mm. nonsense. And you know what? It's a lovely movie. Yeah. Because it's about the people. And it's about this. And, and it doesn't have to be a winery. It could have been a farm. It could have been an office building. It's about family dealing with the loss of a parent and all of the stuff, the, all the baggage that now falls into your lap. It's really smart. It's beautifully photographed. And the performances are just perfect. Anna Girardot. Uh, Jean-Marc Rouleau, uh, Francois Civil, Pio Marmai, uh, just a great cast, really wonderful. Fair amount of extras, uh, mostly behind-the-scenes behind stuff. There's a commentary by Clappish, which is lovely, and then uh, 40 minutes of additional scenes, which is not all uh, that it sounds like it is. It's sort of cutting room floor stuff. Um, Shake Jackson. Uh, was This was really interesting. There were two. I, I reviewed this on Film Week, and there were two movies that mm. week that both uh, had recreations in them, and I forget what the other one was, but they were both foreign films that had recreated, the other one was like a Chilean film or something that had recreated some part of a Michael Jackson music video <laughs> without licensing the music. Oh, no. So they didn't actually use the music. They just did the dance. And oh, I remember that. Remember? Yeah, about the kid who thought he, who, who went around. Yeah. With the, with the, yeah. Well, Shake Jackson is a is a is a really kind of an interesting, fascinating, bizarre movie. Um, it, it it the whole I don't even know how to sort of get into the premise of it. The idea is that uh, the the character here, the main character, is Khalid, who is a he's basically studying to be a a a Muslim cleric. And you know he's but uh, and he's given up his sort of wildlife his wild younger days, but he he still has like a he has that little spark for Michael Jackson and in his private time he sort of is visited by the ghost of Michael Jackson or at least his what he imagines it is and the question is can you reconcile you know mm. a very conservative Muslim life with loving to dance to Michael Jackson music mm -hmm. it's kind of fascinating. Um, and this played the uh, London Film Festival, the BFI London Film Festival last year. It was also at Toronto. And um, 
it's not a great film, but there's a charm at the middle of it and in the lead performance that you sort of can't resist. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to a thing that's actually true about Michael Jackson's relatively outsized popularity oh, yeah, in sure. places around the world, even later in later years. That you, I mean, later years in the United States or whatever. You know, you're I'm a big fan of Michael Jackson. I went to Michael Jackson's funeral. Uh, yeah, that's a thing I that, that. that I'll always be able to say, so I can say it now. I went to Michael Jackson's funeral. But he was a huge, huge uh, you know, Malaysia and other places yeah. like that. And this kind of like speaks to that. Uh, it's it's really amazing. And it and you wonder, is it, you know, is the ability for, is the, is his ability to, to travel, mm. is it related to the music? Is it related to him? Is it related to both? Or is there some other intangible that we haven't yet sort of identified that makes it so universal? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. Yeah. I don't have an answer. Uh, Jose Carlos Ruiz, a very fine actor, very fine veteran actor in a movie that played a whole number of festivals, including South by Southwest, uh, called Tormentero by Ruben Imaz. Uh, this is just all completely centered around the, uh, the central performance. It is, uh, just absolutely a, a brilliant performance. Ruiz is a veteran, veteran actor, and, uh, it, this is just powerful stuff. Uh, the idea here is that it's, it's sort of like the old man in the sea a little bit. Um, about an old fisherman named Romero who um, is uh, trying to reconcile um, the th things that happened long ago in his village. And it's, uh, I, I, there's, a, there's an event that happened back then, and it still haunts him even in the late waning stages of his life as his mind and his body are starting to go. And uh, he's sort of trying to bring all of these things to, to reconcile, and it winds up just sort of coalescing in this beautiful piece of kind of magical realism. And I am not a fan of magical realism, mm. but, but this is one of those exceptions to the, to the rule. Uh, a uh, very well-received Tribeca was uh, Bodan Slama's Ice Mother. Mm. Uh, this was at uh, Tribeca last year. And uh, this is a, this is a Czech film that um, deals in some of the same territory as a lot of these movies we've seen lately about you know like Amour, yeah, uh, about older couples and and late life uh, late life you know resurrection yeah, and all of that fam family reconciliation family reconciliation all of that stuff. So this is about uh, an old widow uh, who is visited by her sons and uh, their families and. Um, it, it it doesn't necessarily you know work out so well. The family doesn't really have you know she and her sons. I mean they don't necessarily get along very well. And uh, then she meets this guy, late life uh, romance, and it all centers around ice swimming. And yeah. ice swimming is of course a metaphor here uh, for you know late life rediscovery and reinvigoration and what the ice does. But it's it's very sweet and it's beautifully acted. Um, wonderful performances, and it, may, it just reminds you that a lot of these countries that, you know, uh, we just don't see their movies often enough. They mm -hmm. have really great actors. Yeah, who yeah. worked for decades. Veterans, yeah. It also reminds you that you don't always need uh, a movie star. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes what you need are good performances, which was something that was true, uh, you know, of, of American cinema for a long, long time, probably through the 70s, and it was only beginning in the 80s. I mean, we always had movie stars. Don't make me, uh, you know, yeah. But there was a there was a moment there when movie stars were movie stars, and everybody else was a good actor. Yeah. Uh, and generally speaking, a movie would have one or two movie stars in it and a bunch of great... Now, you go see these movies, and they're packed with movie stars. Saw a movie the other day, Vera Farmiga, Christopher Plummer, Bobby Cannavale. Uh, I mean, it was like eight movie stars yeah. in this movie. Each one of them had three lines of dialogue. And I yeah. just... You know, I mean, have you noticed yeah. that? Yeah. It's an yeah. odd thing. It's an odd thing. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. strange. 
uh, great little Filipino movie here called Motherland by Ramona S. Diaz. Uh, and uh, Motherland is um, a, this is a documentary that veers much more into that verite realm. And we don't often see a lot of Filipino documentaries. We don't often see a lot of foreign documentaries generally. Um, but uh, this is a, a look at the what is allegedly, and I don't, I, I, I would question whether we could really confirm this at all, but it is allegedly the planet's busiest maternity hospital. Now, that's saying quite a lot. There are places, obviously, where birth rates are high, and I'm sure that that statistic, I would guess that that statistic probably changes every mm -hmm. few months, mm -hmm. every few weeks, because birth rates go up and down. But in any case, according to them, this is, in fact, the, uh, the busiest maternity hospital in the world. And uh, it's, it's done in a kind of um, a verite way where there's not any commentary. The Fred Weissman mm -hmm. uh, direct cinema thing. The sort of fly on the wall. The fly on the wall. And it is really quite engrossing. It's uh, an interesting thing. I, I will tell you this. Uh, the world's most busy maternity hospital is unequivocally not in the United States. No, <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's for or sure. Europe. Or, or Europe. Europe. Uh, and, or China. Uh, and I, and I, and I, perhaps some places, you know, what are, we, what, what are we calling the maternity hospital? I'm doing quotes. Perhaps some places in South or Central America, maybe. The, the, the birth rates are, birth rates are highest obviously in Latin America in uh, and certainly parts of Asia Philippines mm -hmm. is one of them mm -hmm. uh, Indonesia I believe would be another but you know I'm I'm sure it's it's, it's certainly up there yeah. anyway yeah. it's really let's let's put it this way if it's top 10 it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's 1 3 <laughs> yeah, 7 or 12 yeah. it's a really fascinating place to uh, to to see and it's fascinating to behold you know you it's not like I mean it's just I don't want to call it a baby factory but it certainly seems like it and it's well really it, it's a place where they they figured out that this is happening and we need to be do, to do this well and to have high or low 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 infant mortality rates that's what's interesting about it and you know what's also interesting to me too if you uh, I don't know to what extent this is this is true elsewhere in America or in other parts of the world but certainly if you live in Los Angeles, the the elder care industry in Los mm. Angeles is almost 100% Filipino. Mm -hmm. It's really extraordinary. My aunt, before she passed, was uh, was cared for in a facility that was uh, owned and operated by a Filipino family mm -hmm. that ran, had uh, historically already second generation, historically owned and run many of these, and that was already the second facility uh, like that. And uh, it's 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 part of the culture. Goes it's back about 25 years in the United States now, yeah. but it comes out at, about 30 years ago. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there were a number of Filipino RNs, nurses, and LVNs that came into the United States. Yeah. At, it, it was after that, uh, uh, the volcano. Uh, right, the, exactly. I was, yeah. I was in the Philippines. There. Clark Air Force Base was engulfed by the volcano. And we and there was this influx, and then it was uh, it was a very interesting thing. These little micro-migrations, um, micro-migrations, happen all the time due to all kinds of neat little things that go on in the world. And that was one of them, and that's why you have all of those – Filipino folks running those those homes. Yeah, exactly it's what's going it, on. it's really cultural. It's a cultural thing. It's really I love extraordinary. It. It's wonderful. Uh, and then last one here is a movie called In Flame, which was uh, a uh, a Berlin uh, competition entry, and also played some uh, other festivals in the United States. Uh, this is a Turkish film. Not the most popular place in the world these days, Turkey, but uh, the Turkish film industry continues to turn out some really really fascinating works. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, this is direct, written and directed by Salan Ozgun Ozcelik. Gosh, I hope I didn't mutilate that because you know Turkish has all of those accents and and additional things to the uh, to the la to the uh, Latin alphabet, and I, I never know how to pronounce them. But anyway, Salan Ozgun Ozcelik, I believe, is how you pronounce the name. 
uh, writer-director, and uh, very unusual relative to most of the uh, Turkish art films that I've seen in recent years, which tend to be uh, sort of more in the, Ing the Ingmar Bergman vein, very slow and methodical and mm. brooding and character-oriented. And um, this one is much more kind of, I don't want to say Western, but has sort of a more Euro-thriller, psychological thriller aspect to it. Um, uh, dealing with nightmares and this woman who is sort of trying to um, trying to escape from the what she's afraid might not necessarily be a purely psychological phenomenon. If that I, I doesn't sort of uh, give anything away, and uh, the, uh, the then the question becomes: Is the dream? Is the nightmare? tied into mm. something in her past? Is it tied into something in her present? Uh, it, what is the source of this this nightmare that she can't get past? So it really, it's uh, it's really interesting. It's really, really well done, and uh, it's incredibly well-paced. Uh, it's called Inflame, and it's also a really, really great uh, central uh, performance. Really, really good. So Salan Ozgun Ozcelik. If, uh, if the filmmaker becomes a huge, giant uh, phenomenon in the world, we will all learn how to pronounce that name much better in the yeah, future. One of those moments. Yes. Uh, I want to pop over and do a few new movies. New movies. Let's do it. Uh, interesting. A couple on top here, which are films that are kind of political films. Political films uh, would events uh, out of the 70s and 80s. First one, Seven Days in Entebbe. Um, uh, when, when I think about uh, the events of Entebbe, of Entebbe uh, of course, uh, an, an airplane was hijacked and um, and taken to Entebbe. Yeah. A airplane full of Jews and German uh, 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 Jews and uh, and French folks, uh, and uh, taken by a, a a terrorist sect that involved Palestinians and parts of yep. a German mm -hmm. uh, um, a terrorist sect. Bader, what Bader Meinhof. Yeah. Was, yeah. And this, so this is a movie about that period. Now, the movie that, that you're probably thinking about is that movie with uh, 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 there Koto. Were, there were two, if you remember <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah, there were. There were two. And there was, and I remember this very well. There were two in the 70s, which were, there was a, there was a competition between ABC and NBC, mm -hmm. I think it was. And they were racing to see who could get their Entebbe movie on TV first. Because the events, of, the, the events of these events, yeah. and, and, and within the actual events, and when these movies hit television, yeah, I think that one on ABC actually was within the same year. It was, yeah. And 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 ABC rolled the dice and said, "Better to be first than good." <laughs> so so they they rounded up Martin Sheen and a few other people. And they shot something that is basically a chamber piece uh, television play. It was almost shot like a like a teleplay yeah. on video, uh, no film, mm -hmm. like you know, straight up three camera and cut and cut and cut. Right, some guy in a booth, yeah, like like they did at old Sidney oh, Lumet I, style in the fifties. Yeah, I was gonna say it's very fifties. You know, it's it's very it's very you know very Playhouse ninety. Yeah, and uh, and they popped that thing out there, and they thought, yeah, we made it first. And then, uh, like six or seven months later, NBC came out with theirs, which had you know Yafet Koto yeah. playing Idi Amin yeah. and, and Bert Lan was, was it Lancaster? Oh, yeah, who I can't was, it? was it? I think it was Lancaster. Anyway, but yeah. it was smooth and well done and yeah. polished, and that was the one I think that got the higher ratings. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So. Who and knows? What's interesting is both of them were completely and totally wrong, and wholly from the point <laughs> yes. from the point of view True. of the of the Israelis. What they're trying to do here, and this movie doesn't really work, is they're trying to get on the other side of the events, as well as within the point of view of the Saudi Israeli Prime Minister, Ishak Ramir. All of these names that we know from back yeah. in the day. 
um, uh, and, uh, and, and, and try to look at it from both sides. It doesn't really ultimately work as a film, but I, do, I, would, I did appreciate the undertaking, uh, uh, Daniel Brühl and Roseman Pike in the film, um, Seven Days in Entebbe. Um, the, the, so, you know, a historically an interesting th- uh, sort of movie to engage in. I wish that they had put something in terms of special features on this DVD, yeah. Yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, some sort of historical documentary or something like that. It would, you know, that would have been nice. Uh, yeah. The sort of round that out, yeah. maybe it was yeah. commentary. Uh, another one from 1982, uh, 19, uh, set in 1982, Beirut, uh, Beirut, and the film is called Beirut, John Hamm, Roseman Pike. You know, a fairly intense film written by Tony Gilroy, directed by Brad Anderson. Brad Anderson directed, oh, Next Stop Wonderland years ago uh, in Session 9. Made some really neat movies uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, Brad Anderson. Yeah. Uh, and then went on and did a whole lot of... Uh, Next Stop Wonderland is still one of my favorite, of my films, favorite films. That's so there. delightful. Yeah. yeah, I actually like Session Nine. That was that was pretty and, intense. Yeah, too. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is so yeah. good in uh, in Next Stop Wonderland too. It was, so good. Uh, it's, it, it, really, really neat movie. Um, so he directs this, written by Tony Gilroy. It has that sort of Tony Gilroy pace to it. It's about a guy uh, who used to be a diplomat. Uh, now he's been brought in to negotiate the release of a of a captured CIA agent all kinds of things from his past come up he's made friends with this young palestinian kid uh uh named kareem uh who's sort of mentoring a little bit he's there with his wife uh roseman pike and and it becomes one of those you know what is real and who's on whose side and double cross and triple cross kind of movies and you know it's 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 set during that time when the middle east was simply a frame on uh, i was still in the air force back in 1992 and going in and out of germany and going in and out of um uh, Saudi Arabia, and it, if we think it's intense now, let me tell you, it was pretty damn intense then. This movie captures a lot of that, and I like it quite a lot. It moves pretty fast, kind of like one of the Bourne movies, Tony Gilroy, of course, uh, a writer of most of the Bourne trilogy of films. Uh, again, uh, uh, the bonus features are a little bit sparse, but there are some behind the scenes with Roseman Pike and the behind the scenes with Barry. But you know, a little historical documentary about these periods, they should they should think about that. And you between know? between uh, Beirut and Entebbe, good for, good on Roseman Pike for yeah. you know yeah. not sort of going full Harrison Ford and saying I want big paydays from now till the end of time. She's mm. taking good work. Yeah, yeah, and, you really know, stretching. And, and serious work anyway. Uh, we'll go. We'll go comedy now. Blockers. I like this. This is the outrageous, <laughs> unrated bonus content version. It was a pretty crude, rude film to begin yeah. with, but I liked it because it was very clever and it was very much about the young ladies and the women. Yeah. This is a movie about these uh, about these parents and they have these uh, young women uh, who are their uh, daughters and they're graduating from high school and these girls have made a pact to have sex. Uh, on the nice. graduation night or whatever. Now, this is the thing. You know, this is a boy movie. You look at this Porky's, you go all, that, yeah. all those kind of movies. The way this movie deals with this is much, much, much different. Yeah. Uh, these are uh, young women who are uh, uh, empowered and yeah. acting on their own agency. Uh, these are young women who uh, know much more about sex yeah. than any of their goofy parents. Yeah. Uh, their goofy parents, some of whom got knocked up <laughs> when yeah. they were 16. Uh, these kids aren't doing that. And... It's the flip side of it's super the, bad. It's the flip side of super bad, and it's funny, yeah. and it's a little outrageous, and it doesn't go exactly where you think it will. And you, look, um, um, I thought this was just about one of the cutest movies I saw last year. All kinds of really neat bonus features on this uh, Blu-ray DVD. Blockers, absolutely outrageous.
Um, I can only imagine. This was based on. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to do this one. I'll tell you oh, why okay. in a second. All right. You do this one, and I'll tell you why I'll do that. Okay. One. You want to do the? You do all. No, tell that's you. fine. You rock it. Uh, I can only imagine with uh, Dennis Quaid, and uh, Dennis Quaid isn't. You know, he's the only name you're going to recognize in this, except for maybe Trace Adkins and uh, and J. Michael Finley. Um, I just do not remember that song. I know it was a gigantic hit. It's. Uh, I can only imagine is is a song that was a huge hit with a, a particular segment of the population uh primarily you know people who are into country western and all of that anyway this is this is kind of a uh, this is aimed at the faith-based audience but it's not a faith-based film per se it no. is a mainstream film and uh it's actually really sweet and old-fashioned and inspiring uh it was you know you know about it, it's the story of the song and and the uh the, yeah, the, you know, the guy the, had the, a brutal father who was kind of a you know and uh, and how he's trying to reconcile himself with that, that stuff, and yeah. yeah and 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 it's uh you know what it's really uplifting it's got a good cast and it's sweet and it's old-fashioned and uh, it comes with a whole bunch of extras including deleted scenes and uh, and uh, an audio commentary, and uh, it's perfectly fine. So I, you know, uh, wonderful release from Lionsgate comes with uh, Ultraviolet uh, that you can and, or iTunes. I, I and I would even call it a family film. It is about you know, uh, you know a dad who was kind of mean to his son. And there's the, just a, there's not a lot of that these days the, anymore. Yeah, yeah, and so. it's it's nice to have a few of those. And thanks for letting me do this one, man. Okay. Uh, uh, this is this is trouble is my business. <laughs> I did not know this was going to be in the stacks today. This is the two disc. <laughs> this is the two disc Blu-ray of Trouble Is My. Business business let me tell you mm-hmm. this is my homie I, i've known this guy almost as long I as i've known you and i did not know that tom conkle tom conkle is my guy i've known him almost as long as i know we worked at ucla together we talking about ucla yeah. just this morning yeah. we, we go back that far worked on so many so many films and comedy things together uh, tom and i and tom uh made this really neat movie trouble is my business we were always these big noir fans uh tom and i even wrote a noir film uh that wade was the producer on for quite a while and it's, mm-hmm. it's a neat thing and and, um, and and Tom decided to make a noir film that was completely steeped in the earlier of the yeah, noir, and he, yeah. and, he, and he uses all kinds of CGI and, and, and great stuff. And he's in it. Tom's a wonderful actor. You've you've seen him many times in yeah. commercials and on TV shows. He's a, he's a great character actor. And he knocked off this movie. It's really really good. Uh, and he packed this DVD with just about everything you'd want to see in it, along with Tom in the movie, the great Vernon Wells. And Brittany Powell, love Brittany. Brittany used to run around a whole bunch of Xena warrior princesses, uh, you know, with a sword, yeah. cutting people in half. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, because love Brittany, so she's fantastic. She's fantastic in this movie, uh, which is a sort of film fatale, film noir, uh, ballad detective uh, that has uh, one of those ladies who comes to his office in the middle of the night and tells, uh, "You got to help me." Yeah, is one of those things. And Tom plays the, uh, and Tom plays, the, and it's so funny and so wry. It's all about the dialogue. It's the kind of movie where you can put it on and just listen to it yeah. and walk around cracking up for a half an hour. So anyway, this is the two disc special edition. Color and black and white in high def version of Trouble is my business. Sweet. Buddy Thomas Conkle. Way to go, Tommy. All right, uh, I'm gonna. We've got a bunch of PBS titles to uh, recommend to you this week. Some really, really good PBS documentaries. These are, uh, it's you know, PBS just nails it. And then we're gonna we're gonna pile into some uh, TV and see if we can wrap some things out with uh, some classic movies. The Gang Crackdown is another typically outstanding frontline documentary uh, that deals primarily with MS-13, who's in the news all kinds of crazy right now. Uh, and of course, if you know the MS-13, Marastrucha 13 is a, is a, a gang that yeah. started in the United States, yeah. went to El Salvador, and is now coming back from El Salvador 
having metastasized into something much yeah. worse than what it uh, began as. Of course, it's it's you know all the rage in the news. President Trump talks about MS-13, and uh, you know the people push back, and it's become a bit of a political football. So it's helpful to have a frontline documentary that separates fact from fiction, hysteria from reality, and really goes into exactly what the history of this is, what their presence in the United States means, what the potential remedies are for how to deal with them, and so forth. feels like we've been dealing with gang warfare in the U.S. for a long time, and what started as Bloods and Crips has now become MS-13. And yeah. You know, this particular strain of, I mean, if we, if we remember correctly, uh, you know, gangs in the United States go all the way back to the you know, 30s 40, and 40s. 30s and 40s, you know, for right? sure, yeah. And that kind of stuff. But, of course, uh, what we think about now certainly began, uh, you know, uh, uh, South Central, early 80s, late yeah. 70s, early 80s, and, and all of this happened. It is, it is um, profoundly ironic that most of those Mirasutra uh, uh, 13. Uh, 13, yeah. MS-13 were, in fact, deported from the United States yeah. to various different places, particularly El Salvador, deeply uh, that much more ironic considering yeah. our involvement in El, in El Salvador, Salvador in the late 70s and early 80s and yeah. Oliver North and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we have a finger and a hand and maybe an entire arm and, in that. And it, and it's and the question is, uh, is, is it possible to overreach? Is it possible to do the wrong things thinking you're doing the right things? Mm. And there are no easy answers to any of this, but it's a great documentary. Frontline always does a great job covering all their bases, and yeah. it's just superb. Well, they make old school docs where, you know, they're not editorials. They're docs. And to wit, another uh, one, wow. Frontline got right out in front like they do, uh, hence the name. With Years ago, you did a, you did a long-form interview. He did, with yeah. With Harvey. With, uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, yeah. it was, it, we've always had interesting conversations. So thus, when all of this went down, you and I were just not all that deeply, deeply surprised. That's true. And uh, this Frontline is called Weinstein. And uh, the th now, uh, the thing is, this is... This is not frontline getting out in front of something that has not already been thoroughly vetted in the in the media. We had the New Yorker piece. We had the New York Times piece. We had all the follow-up pieces, including several on our Cinegod site. Uh, Ray Green did some great reporting on it as well. So, I mean, this is sort of all out there. But what they what Frontline did do here uh, is they hooked up with the BBC and they made a just a straight up one hour special, and uh, they they went to they went right back to many of the sources and uh, tried to look at who knew what and when mm -hmm. as opposed to sort of you know un, it was it's it's less about what did Harvey do and when did he do it it's mm -hmm. more about who enabled him yeah. and what is this culture that enabled him and and what prevented him from being exposed which is still an open question mm -hmm. frankly yeah. we now that we know all the stories Everybody's asking, well, why didn't this come? And, you know, look, I'll be honest. We all knew Harvey was a pig. Yeah. But we didn't know he was a rapist. No. And, and I mean, a, we, yeah, we, we, we knew he was a pig, and we knew he was uh, in the at least the ordinary mold of the sort of Hollywood uh, uh, mogul. And, again, yeah. you know, even that. This doesn't begin with Harvey Weinstein. No. Uh, this this doesn't even begin with Shirley uh, Temple being even, chased around her desk. I don't even think it starts with the movies. No, I, it I certainly think, doesn't. You know. <laughs> I, think if we, I think if we go back to, you know, uh, theater impresarios in 1820. Yeah. Uh, you're going to find something. You're going to find something similar. Uh, yeah. So, you know, context is a hell of a thing. Yeah. Uh, then we move to Secrets of the Dead. Got a couple of great Secrets of the Dead installments here. Hannibal in the Alps is uh, is really really great. This of course goes back to the uh, the story of uh, the famous uh, General Hannibal and 
his collision with the Romans. And, uh, you know, we always picture Hannibal as you can come in with all the elephants, right? And the mm-hmm. Romans coming back and, you know, thir- thousands and tens of thousands of troops and horses and elephants and everything else. And it's just a, it's really, really, a, it's, it's, it's almost myth at this point. And the question is how much of it is true and how much of it isn't. And uh, so they go back and they look at all the possible, uh, the routes that he might have taken and what uh, archaeological evidence there might be. And experts kind of use computer uh, analysis to try to, you know, uh, separate fact from fiction. And, um, you know, the idea of elephants in the Alps is yeah. is almost preposterous at a certain point. But yeah. you know what, man, I mean, it, yeah. it may well have happened as myth decide, myth claims. Uh, and then there's also uh, Secrets of the Dead, America's Untold Story, which uh, is uh, rather gripping and grueling because there we may a lot of people may not realize this, but it was Jamestown and Plymouth were not the first European settlements no. in the New World. Uh, this goes back all the way back. The ones uh, that came and disappeared. Yes, and uh, it is it is this is a four hour. Uh, look at that history, and it is uh, it is fascinating. It's a it's a it was a weird mixture of renegade uh, people from Spain and Africa and from Germany and even in, you know the the uh, the British Isles and and it was it's a it's really this is just a, a, an unbelievably bizarre strange story that uh, has just gotten lost by history. So mm. uh, that is America's untold story, installment of Secrets of the Dead. And then the last few here, real quickly, uh, decoding the weather machine from Nova, which you know, weather has become an increasingly uh, hot topic with uh, climate change and and uh, more and more popular interest in everything related to how do we predict the weather, how do we know what's going to happen, do the are the models reliable, uh, what's the scientific consensus, how much of it is science, how much of it is modeling, all of that stuff. So uh, this attempts to sort of decode all of that stuff and make it uh, accessible to average people. Uh, and then Natural Born Rebels is uh, from the Nature line, and uh, this is all about weird animals, basically. There are three episodes here, and it just deals with um, odd, unusual, strange behavior of all kinds of certain animals, whether they're reptiles or mammals or insects or birds or whatever they may be. Um, some of them just do strange and unusual things. And they're sort of larcenous, uh, mm. you know, they, the, the, the way that some animals will just straight up lie, cheat, and steal. Yeah. It's bizarre, but they do it. And then very lastly is First Civilizations, War, Religion, Cities, and Trade. Uh, this is just a wonderful, uh, wonderful kind of um, archaeological slash uh, anthropological look at the latest theories that look at how human civilizations developed, how certain civilizations disappeared, um, how many civilizations subsumed and overcame and absorbed other civilizations, and how you know cultures have merged and bifurcated. And it's just uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful overview of how we got from there in the Bronze Age and before to where we are now, and the role that all kinds of things played, whether it's you know religion, culture, trade, mm. um, uh, mysticism, all yeah. of those things. It's just really great. It's called First Civilizations, War, Religion, Cities, Trade. Absolutely fascinating. I'll, 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 I'll throw you a couple of uh, other docs from uh, Discovery. 
yep. um, uh, here. Shark Week. Look, I mean, you know, people love this, these Shark Week. It's been around 30 years. It's just insane to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Eight, 18 episodes here. Michael Phelps shows up, in, you know, the great Olympian Michael Phelps shows yep. up in a couple of these. And they do uh, it absolutely um, uh, engage in some absolutely fascinating shark species here. Uh, they're down in the Bimini Shark Lab. It's, 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 it's neat. I have never been a big fan of Shark Week, mostly watching uh, wild animals eat other wild animals turns me off, mm -hmm. uh, but people like it. Anyway, through this collection here, Sharktacular Adventures, 18 episodes, Antarctica in the footsteps of the, of the emperor, the emperor penguin. This is an absolutely fascinating doc. Uh, from the director of March of the Penguins. And now, this was more my speed. Uh, fewer things get uh, viciously eaten in these wonderful sort of penguin documentaries mm -hmm. uh, than, than in the Shark Week documentary. This is a two-DVD uh, set, and it's really, really lovely. This is the kind of thing you can put on for the kids and the family mm -hmm. and, and let them watch, and you'll love it and enjoy it over and over and over again. Uh, what series is that from? Oh, that's from MHZ. MHZ. That's MHZ uh, Choice, uh, not Megahertz. We've been told many times they are MHZ. MHZ, Do not, call not them Megahertz. megahertz. Uh, yeah. And uh, I should have said the other uh, Shark, 30 Years of Shark Week, the other drop, 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 uh, dropping uh, from Discovery. So, you know, that too. That, the Blu-ray 30th anniversary yeah, thing. Yeah, with your, other, with your other Shark Week spectacular there. Uh, now, uh, shall we go ahead and do a little <laughs> bit of television? Let's do it. Uh, Black Lightning. The Black Lightning... Uh, the complete first season. I got to tell you, I like this show. It's a lot of fun. It is. Not exactly um, what I had in mind when I was thinking that I wanted to see myself a black superhero. Because, <laughs> you know, you and I were more Luke Cage kind of guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, but this is neat. It's sort of an urban uh, set show. Uh, it's set around a family. Uh, as you work your... Th I, I do like this about it. It moves very, very quickly. It does. It doesn't do a whole lot of teasing. Not like The Flash, <laughs> which oh is God. another show that I deeply, deeply love. But The Flash will tease you for 18 episodes. Yeah. Black Lightning uh, moves at a hell of a clip and before you get to the end of this first season there's not only black lightning both of his daughters have got superpowers and they're kicking the snot out of this albano <laughs> guy <laughs> you know and <clears throat> excuse me I do like the language in the show, and I like that it's that it's a show sort of like that movie Black Panther yeah. that is concerned with the you know the the trails sure. and woes of, of of the inner city, and uh, and it doesn't have a whole lot of white folks as enemies. Yeah, no, we're taking care of business at home. I like that about this show, which frankly Luke Cage is doing as well. It, that, the, the, yeah. the, have you watched Have you watched uh, season two? Of I have Luke not Cage? gotten to season I two because I you know, I started. To, uh, we, yeah. we, look, we're doing it again. Jessica Jones, and I wasn't so second Jessica season. Jessica same Jones thing with Legions. Uh, same thing yeah. with second season. You know, not so nuts about it, and that yeah. kind of put me off of going to the second season of Luke Cage. I'm a little bit afraid, yeah. I'll be honest. I am too. I'm yeah. a little afraid. thing is, the second season of Daredevil is better than the first season, so okay, they yeah. can do it. They yeah. just have to They have to figure it out. I'm hoping there will never be a second season of Iron Fist, yeah, because, because that first season well, just, can't do any worse. That was horrible. Uh, bad casting, bad casting. Over an hour of extras, two featurettes, uh, Comic-Con panel, gag reel, all kinds of stuff uh, from uh, the CW, Black Lightning. Yay. Uh, do you know this series, this uh, Italian series? Yes, yes, sorry. That's, uh, that should have been over here with me. Uh, this is episodes 31 and 32 of Detective Montalbano, also from uh, MHZ. This is the, uh, the really terrific Italian detective series. We've talked about this before. And uh, Detective Montalbano is, uh, is just a, one of those great detective characters because the whole thing is, is fundamentally written for the actor, like they do in the UK. In this case, it's Luca Zingaretti, who is a terrific actor. He just owns this character. He just works it with every nuance that he knows how to do. He's one of those scrappy kind of, um, uh, well, he's, he's like, like if, uh, if uh, you know, I guess somewhere between Mannix, Kojak, 
and uh, who knows who else. Uh, it, it, he's just he's he's a crusty, scrappy guy. Um, got all kinds of baggage, but you know what? He's really, really, really a great detective. He's just really, really great. And uh, the two episodes here are called Merry-Go-Round and Amore. Uh, and uh, Amore is the one that really gets uh, into some really, really dark stuff. Gets pretty dark. Uh, so I would, uh, I would say, well, they both get dark. To be honest, it's all really pretty dark. Um, but uh, anyway, Detective Montalbano, episodes 31 and 32. If you haven't seen this show, you got to watch it from and, the MHZ. And now, now, wait. You guys do, he's, I know. Because I'm so, I'm so going to borrow this. I know. Uh, I I'm a Doctor Who that. man. I'm yes. a Doctor Who man. And this is my man of the doc. I go all the way back with Doctor Who, 1963. Yeah. You know, But I am a Tom Baker man. People who know me knew me in the 90s walking around with that scarf <laughs> that I used That's to right. wear. <laughs> that was this guy's fault. Yeah. Uh, 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 Tom Baker's Doctor Who, the complete season one. Um, I absolutely adored this show, particularly uh, adored Tom Baker. Tom Baker was the guy who took Doctor Who from being a sort of crotchety old man whom he had been when Troughton and Hartnell and even jo- uh, Pertwee uh, played him. He was always kind of a, this testy, mean old guy who, who wasn't particularly nice to the, to the, to the young women and, and, and the women on the show, you know, because he's just one of those old guys. Tom Baker was the exact opposite. He was uh, uh, jubilant and lots of fun, and uh, he not only trusted in he, uh, the women on the show, the young women who would be his companion on the show, he counted on them, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, and he learned from them. Yeah, uh, and plus he had that mechanical dog. He was the one that introduced us to right. K9 mm-hmm. <laughs> on the show, and he was a lot of fun. Uh, this is absolutely packed with just about everything a, a ridiculous fan such as myself would want. Uh, all kinds of brand new behind the scenes specials, uh, as well as featurettes and CGI effects and audio commentaries. And ri- oh man, man, this is just so wonderful. Uh, anyway, yeah, gonna be borrowing this for a while. Tom Baker, Elizabeth Sladen, Ian Martha, and Nicholas Courtney as. Uh, he was the he was the, who was the the brigadier yeah brigadier the brigadier well as what long as we are still in the uh, in the British TV realm let's talk about Man in an Orange Shirt which is a <laughs> terrific masterpiece <laughs> drama this is about two uh, gay romances tied together by one woman one takes place in the 1940s one is present day and uh, it is uh, this comes from uh, British novelist Patrick Gale not familiar with Patrick Gale I know a lot of people who are big big fans but. Uh, this is actually really, really good. And uh, anytime you do one of those separated by, you know, when you're when you're juxtaposing juxtaposing two stories from different eras in one, you mm. there's a balance question. It's a very tricky thing to make sure that people don't resent you when you move from one story to the other. Mm-hmm. That they don't feel like one is stronger than the other. One is. Uh, oh, one has been pro- abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, and you know you've got to make you've you've got to have them so that they fuel each other, and and that's a that's a really tricky thing for a writer, and it's an even trickier thing for actors and for directors because the actors are giving it their all, mm-hmm. and if one pair of actors gives it more than the other pair of actors, you're screwed. Yeah. So everybody has to be just perfectly fine tuned, and you know what? The Brits do that better than anybody else. Uh, this is just wonderful. Vanessa Redgrave shows up in this as well. Um, but really, it's just it's all about the uh, the four men who play the the four leads and uh, the the woman who plays Flora or the women who play Flora. It's really quite uh, it, it's quite powerful. Really, really well done. It's called Man in an Orange Shirt. It's from PBS and it's on Blu-ray and you should watch it. We also have Game of Thrones, oh, the wow. first season on 4K. Really? Yeah. 
The first so, season. First season. We're on 4K now. So anybody who bought the first season on Blu-ray and thought that they were done, no, you need to double dip because you know what? They've remastered this sucker on 4K or else they had had it ready to go for 4K. Mm. In any case, uh, it's even better. The, uh, the special effects are improved. Uh, the textures, the colors, the richness, the blacks, everything just looks better in 4K. Looks better. Did they give you anything else, though, on that thing? You, you need, yeah, it, it's, it's got the fan same fan. bonus features as before, anatomy of an episode and, uh, you know, all the behind-the-scenes stuff and the audio commentaries. There's nothing new here in terms of the bonus features. So it's the same bonus features you're getting. If you're mm. double-dipping on this, you're double-dipping for, for specifically for what you're getting on the yeah. 4K. But, uh, it, you know, what? it's... I mean, look, um, Game of Thrones has gotten better as it's gone along, so... <laughs> There's also something to revisiting the first season yeah. and realizing where it all began. Yeah. So it's a good excuse. And then we also have a fascinating Hamlet. Now, it was recently announced that Glenda – is it Glenda Jackson who's going to be playing Lear? Yeah. So we're doing a thing now, this whole yeah, gender flipping, bending, this yeah. whole gender flipping, gender bending deal, yeah. which with Shakespeare, Shakespeare is so f- belongs to everyone, and everyone has twisted it and squeezed it every oh, which way. Black I'm, Shakespeare's I'm, and modern I'm, Shakespeare's and, and Chinese Shakespeare's. Yeah. And I'm good with it because Shakespeare is immortal, and you know why not uh, give it a twist and let let a woman play yeah. Lear? There are only a few Shakespeare's where gender is the thing, taming of the shoe. Well, uh, but, but even then, you can you Shakespeare. Can, yeah. All Shakespearean plays, when originally cast, had men playing the female roles. In the, in the, Anyway, yeah. So, so there you go. I, I don't have a problem with flipping that around today and, and playing it the other way around. Uh, Maxine Peake in this one gets to play Hamlet. This is Maxine Peake in Hamlet. If you're not familiar with Maxine Peake, she is an absolutely sensational performer. And um, seeing her play Hamlet is, in this very cool revisionist uh, version of it is, is really quite compelling. This is from Film Movement, and it's a very minimalistic interpretation for the stage. Uh, it is, it, it, but it's really, really interesting. It's the first time that um, a woman has actually played uh, it, it, this role, I believe. And there's, they claim in the in the notes for this that Frances de la Tour was the first woman to do it. But I'm that's something I'm not familiar with. So um, I'll, I'll trust them that she's the second. But it's the first that I'm aware of. In any case, uh, so anyway, Maxine Peake playing Hamlet, really, really interesting, very compelling. Mm. Outstanding. I love it. I, yeah. Michael Elmarine made a wonderful Hamlet years ago. Yeah, so, he did. So set in contemporary New York. I think yeah. Ethan Hawke uh, played Hamlet in that. Yep. Um, uh, well, are we going to do a few of these over here? Yeah, let's knock it out. Well, I, I, I have this little little movie here, and then I'll jump into some of the uh, um, uh, some of the uh, the old school television stuff that I particularly love. This is an interesting little little film um, called Sea Change um, uh, by a guy named Chris Grismer. It's a, this is the interesting story here. A uh, young woman. Uh, loses her father. She's 17 years old. She moves out to these islands. I think they're called the Silky Islands. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a little cloistered society with townies and, uh, and, 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 and folks who are the more sort of blue-collar folks. And she finds herself drawn to, to two young men, uh, one of them from one of the oldest families on the island, and the other is more of a, a townie kid who kind of works the, the shore and all that kind of stuff. And then she finds out about these people called the Sea Walkers. And there's a myth that there are these people who are part sea creature and part human, uh, and her mother and, uh, and and she might be them. Uh, and it's kind of neat, you know, based on uh, a, a best-selling novel, New York Times sure. best-selling novel. So, you know, neat thing. Um, uh, it, it's sort of romantic, really, really beautifully shot. Um, and they got a lot out of it for not a whole lot of much for not a whole lot of money, not a whole lot on it. It ran on Lifetime. It's called Sea Change. Kind of okay. 
Oh, uh, Balky. Can, can we, may we please, may yeah, we please? Yeah, let's Man, talk about Balky. I, I deeply, deeply, deeply loved Perfect Strangers. We have the complete third and fourth season here. Uh, this show, and I don't know why, this sh- I, I, I'm not even sure how this show captivated yeah. America in the way that it did. Well, here's what did. happened. Here's what happened. So, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yes. That's where it happens. Well, yeah, because he was in uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, and, and you know, the weird thing about this is that that was a cameo. Bronson Pinchot, Mark Lennon. Bronson Baker. Pinchot. So, Bronson Pinchot shows up in Beverly Hills Cop 2. It was 2, wasn't it? it yeah. It was 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he shows he up Beverly. He stole that scene. And he was Serge, and, and he says, my name is Serge, I can help you. And he does that bizarre <laughs> accent, which is kind of French, kind of Russian, kind of yeah. what the hell are you doing? And he stole that moment. And here's the great thing about that moment. If Eddie Murphy had been a total egomaniac, yep. he would have been a prima donna and said, yeah, uh, yeah, that dude's stealing my scene. Yeah. He's stealing my thunder. Cut him out of the movie. And, the movie. and there are a lot of careers that have been killed because yeah. some prima donna, and I know people who've had this happen to oh, them. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I, know, I know of one actor in particular who was on a TV show that, where, with another star and could have had a spinoff and didn't because the star of the show killed insisted him. on changes that killed him off. Mm-hmm. I, it made is, sure it, that he wouldn't be funny. He wouldn't and be f- wouldn't survive. Would not mm-hmm. survive the show. Kill him off. I don't want that spinoff to happen. It'll take my thunder away. I know of that. I can't t- say a thing no. about it, but it's really harsh. Oh, I've seen. We've seen it happen a few times. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. So, but so, Eddie, Eddie was bright. But Eddie, if you watch that movie, if you watch that movie. Eddie is struggling to not laugh his ass off. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie is so entertained by Bronson Pinchot in that moment. He thinks it's the funniest thing ever. It is a total class moment mm. where a comic actor says, this dude is killing it. I'm a fan. I'm just going to let him run with this. And it's comedians giving love to comedians. Eddie does the same thing. It in is. The first Billy Hills cop movie with Paul Reiser. He gives yeah. Paul Reiser a scene. Absolutely. He lets Paul Reiser run with it and Let's kill him. Run with it. And, uh, and, and it may, you know, these things can make people's career. And boom, that guy becomes this guy. There it is. Bronson because Shelby. Serge is basically some sort of Balky. incarnation of, of Belky. Yeah. Marklin Baker, uh, who, you know, in, in addition to this was in a whole bunch of other things, and also a veteran, veteran television yeah. director. Directed Bridget, my wife, and a few things. Uh, um, uh, Mark and look, Baker. this is the odd couple. Yeah. It's the odd couple. You know, redone. You know, with, with, yeah. with the two girls and all that kind of stuff. And hung in there for just season after season. Yeah. This is the complete third and fourth season. Yeah, and uh, you, it's just still a fun show. It's good old-fashioned sitcom. And again, and you can watch so it with sweet. the whole family. It's just as, it's just as funny today. It doesn't age. No. Um, power from executive producer. Uh, producer, it still says here Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson. You know what? You probably lose <laughs> that Fifty Cent dog. You let that go. This is the complete fourth season of Power, uh, which is actually a, you know this is a neat show. This is sort of like um, the serious response to Empire, which yeah. came on the Fox network, and right. you know it was a popular show and people liked it. But it was a big, uh, sort of big and outlandish and, and, and sort of crazy. This is a very did the right serious dramatic show. Uh, that uh, that Curtis Jackson has put together here, uh, and you know it's 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 a good show if you're into that kind of thing. It's, you know, within the uh, the, the sort of black community, FBI agents, uh, the, uh, a guy trying to break through the drug community and and uh, and build himself a new life, but he keeps getting pulled back in. It's that it's you know what they all are. Yeah, they're all the Godfather. Yeah, they're, they're, true. This is they just are. the Godfather of black. All people. they are Godfather of young black people. That's all it is. But hey, you like the Godfather? Everybody does. You'll like Power. Yep. Uh, complete fourth season. Uh, we've got some some good ones here from Acorn. Uh, a couple from Acorn TV. We've got Series Two of The Heart Guy, which is an Australian show that is really really charming. 
basically this is kind of sort of an Australian version of uh, Northern Exposure. Ah. Got a guy who's a heart oh, surgeon. He's in a in a you know basically a rural area, small town uh, called Why Hope, which I think is funny. Mm. Why Hope? <laughs> All is one word. Why Hope? Why bother? Um, and uh, anyway, <sighs> this is less about you know this isn't really about the, the the heart guy or the doctor. It's just about a small town in Australia where there's a lot of weird eccentric people. Yeah. And if you've seen you know anything from uh, PJ Hogan? If you've primarily seen uh, Muriel's Wedding, it's just that kind of yeah. thing. It's uh, you know it's these just weird odd characters people in this weird and their relationships. And like you said, that Northern Exposure thing. They're so fun. They're oh. all so fun. Uh, and the other one is Like Unto It, uh, Girlfriends series one. Girlfriends is a uh, is a terrific UK show with Zoe Wanamaker, Phyllis Logan, and Miranda Richardson. Miranda Richardson just keeps absolutely killing it. She's so wonderful. She's a great dramatic actress. She's a great comedic actress, especially if you've seen her on Blackadder. You know that she mm. can absolutely light it up and just uh, and, and just bust a, help you bust a gut. Um, so this is this is um, basically a, an a, an older girls thing. You know, three women who are getting on in life. And uh, they, you know, get together and try to try to support themselves in all of their late life madness and uh, all the instability that arrives at a point in life when you you're hoping that you have it all locked down and you know husband and kids and everything is supposed to be on cruise control and it's not it's not so uh, and there's there's some great twists and turns and things here that go in interesting directions it's a really really interesting show it's called Girlfriends this is series one and I can't wait for series two. And then the uh, the last two here, the best of Agatha Christie, volumes three and four uh, from Acorn, uh, which includes stuff that has been released previously, but uh, in box sets, it's nice to have these things contained. What we get here are uh, basically all you know Poirot and uh, Miss Marple, and it's it's you know it's all these things mixed together. Uh, Partners in Crime, The Secret Ad- Adversary, Ordeal by Innocence, The Hollow, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, Dead Man's Folly, which is absolutely great because yeah. it also has Zoe Wanamaker in it, and uh, The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side, otherwise just known as The Mirror Cracked. Uh, in this one, it's Julia McK- the Julia McKenzie version of uh, playing Miss Marple, and then a uh, Caribbean mystery. So it's all really, really good. Great mysteries, all beautifully done. Originally aired on BBC. And I'll grab this one right here. I really like this a lot. Hostages, a season one. This is made in Israel. It's an Israeli film shot all around Ju- uh, Jerusalem. Uh, I, I love the premise of this film. It's very sharp. It's really more of a movie premise than a television show premise, but I like it anyway. So uh, a very important uh, surgeon who uh, is the kind of surgeon of which there is only one uh, that can perform a particular procedure. Uh, and she must perform uh, the, this procedure on the PM uh, the next day, the prime minister. Uh, goes home to find that her entire family has been kidnapped. Uh, and the idea, of course, is for that person to assassinate the prime minister. That's a really, really good plot. A little too good, if you think about it. Yeah. Frankly, you know, I hope the CIA is uh, listening to this, yeah. <laughs> to this podcast. Check yeah. that out. Make yeah. sure nobody does that. Anyway, it's surprising, though, that it's a television series as opposed to a movie plot, and they, and they sort of managed to, uh, to work it out over the, uh, that period of time. Um, uh, very well acted. Two discs set, ten episodes. <clears throat> uh, check it out. Um, uh, it's a, a very, very intense uh, little television series, dramatic television series there. Matthew Fox... Uh, did a te- television series called Haunted uh, back in 2002, uh, which is sort of interesting. Um, uh, it, it's about a cop who uh, has a near-death experience, 
uh, capturing private eye anyway. And now he can uh, communicate with the dead. Uh, it's one of those kind of television series. Short life thing, but it was pretty cool. Young Matthew Fox before he went on to do Lost and this, that, and the other thing. I think he was on uh, Party of Five, too. This was yeah. probably after Party of Five, but before Lost. That's when he was doing this. Um, uh, you got a few behind-the-scenes thing here along with the, the, the few episodes that they did. Looks like they did about six episodes. Yeah, cool. Of that show. The Pink Panther cartoon collection. Blake Edwards, the Pink Panther cartoon collection. Love man, oh this man, oh man. This is volume two. Uh, volume two, audio yeah. commentaries, all kinds of wonderful stuff on here. Really, there's almost nothing to say about this. Yeah, Either you grew up watching and loving they're great. the Pink Panther cartoon collection, and or you didn't. If you didn't, get caught up. It's it's you know if you have all the movies on Blu-ray, you need to start collecting all the all the the shorts on Blu-ray just so you have a, your complete Pink Panther collection. Because yeah. previously there was just a great big DVD box set with a nice padded cover and you know a lot of extras in it. And if you just want to get rid of that thing and have everything consolidated, and you don't want all the additional you know foofy junk. Yeah, that's what you want to do. <laughs> All right, All right we're, uh, we're going to wrap out now with some uh, classic movies. And we have a giveaway because this is Tom Cruise week. Because <laughs> Tom Cruise is... Uh, is I got is, that coming up. You going to see that? Uh, I got, oh, uh, you better yeah, believe yeah. I'm going to go see it. You kidding me? Yeah. I love the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are a couple that are a little wonky. But uh, otherwise, I thoroughly uh, they, enjoy they, it. They've gotten stronger. They have. Isn't it amazing? That last one was very, very strong. I thought Mich after Mission Impossible 3, which J.J., Look, mm. I love you, JJ, but it wasn't great. Yeah. I thought eh, it was kind of dead. And then instead of doing four, they just switched up the call, the names, yep. and they they kind of. And look, even when you get into stuff like uh, was it was it was it which one was it? was it Ghost Protocol or uh, Rogue Nation where he's under the water and yeah, trying yeah. to find his way into the nuclear reactor thing, which makes no sense whatsoever. There is nothing logical about anything there. But you, don't but you care. know what? I don't care because <laughs> Cruz is doing it, man. Yeah. It's Cruz. And of course, you know, the, the lately he's been given, uh, you know. He, He's been playing with the notion that he might be getting a that Ethan Hunt yes. might be getting a little long in the tooth for this. Yes, uh, and you know he even he even, he even got killed once yeah. <laughs> in one of they had to bring him back to life. Yeah. It's just really and he gives all the stuff to the girl who's the the the, the British actress. Yeah. Uh, you know he gives her all the good stuff. I and and again it's like Eddie Murphy in that yeah. comedy. Tom is like you know what this will this this will play better for the audience. Yes, if I'm the one that gets hit in the head and it's you're the one that drags my ass out of the, the water. The confidence of a star. Yeah. He doesn't really you know. He doesn't need more. Uh, so anyway, uh, we have uh, we have a giveaway, and the giveaway is uh, two. There will be two winners of each of these. Two win, and you you know everybody can apply. Two winners of Mission Impossible one through five, a complete set of one through five on 4K. So if you want one through five Mission Impossible on 4K, we're two people can win that entire collection, and we're going to talk about it in a second. And uh, the other contest is for Jack Reacher, the original Jack Reacher yeah. on 4K. So we're going to give a, be giving away two of each, two Jack Reachers on 4K and two complete Mission Impossible 1 through 5 collections on 4K. Uh, just go ahead and send us an email to gods at digigods.com or gods at cinegods.com and put your name and address in the body of the email. Put Reacher if you want to be considered for the Reacher contest and put impossible if you want to be considered for the impossible contest in the subject line reacher for the jack reacher set impossible for the mission impossible one through five collection and uh make sure it gets to us no later than july 9th we're going to give you the whole week next week and all the way through the holiday and uh on to monday the 9th and then on uh, tuesday the 10th we will pick some winners and send those over to paramount and make some people very very happy so that being done 
Let me talk about Jack Reacher on uh, 4K. Looks pretty sweet. Jack Reacher, the second Jack Reacher has been on 4K already, so this completes the deal. Looks just as good. The HDR is fantastic. Uh, they're absolutely killing it over there at Paramount. They're doing a great, great job. I really, I like both Jack Reacher films. I think I might like the first one best uh, because it was the first time I was introduced to the character and it was a new thing that Cruz was doing. And uh, I, I had read those books going back, I don't know how long. And it was interesting to me because, you know, Tom Cruise, since Tom Cruise, well, yeah. Tom Cruise is 5'9", five, 5'11", five, if you want to go with the press material. Yeah, that, I, Jack I'd is 6'5". Yeah. Uh, in the movies. It, but, you know, Tom has this way of putting on those big-ass boots. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, puffing himself up and, and comporting his body. And they put, you know, Chris, particularly Chris McCurry, who yeah. directed the one, he puts the camera in a certain place. And, you, yeah. and you know, I'm looking at Tom Cruise, and I know he's, like, 5'9". Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? He's pulling this off. How the hell is, you know, is, you, you think it would be, like, Army Hammer or somebody who's, like, 6'5". Mm -hmm. But, no, Tom, Tom can pull off the 6'5", Jack Reacher. He sure can. They, they don't even try to pretend like he's playing him smaller. No. I'm just gonna play him like he's six five. He just he just rises. He does what movie stars do, which is he fills the frame. Yeah. He rises to the occasion of the role, and he just does a great job. You and I before the show, we were talking about how that whole generation of British actors, yeah. you know, Richard Harris and Peter O'Toole and Alan Bates, right? Yeah. All those guys, all those hard drinking blokes from from that generation. Mm. They just there's something they could just you just point put some lights on them and yeah. point a camera at them and they just own that moment. They, they weren't the traditionally frame. handsome. Nope. Not not traditionally handsome. Uh, you know, not Rock Hudson or whatever. No. They, whoever you Tony Curtis. No, they yeah, were these rugged. Guys, yeah, they were rugged. They had these faces, real faces. Yeah. You know, and and, and and in later years, beat up real faces. Yeah, but you know what? I could look at some, them all day. Some hard drinking real faces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the uh, Mission Impossible films are now all on 4K as well, and somebody is going to be very happy when they get all five of these. It starts with Mission Impossible 1, 2, and 3, and then goes on to Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. Uh, you know, look, Mission Impossible 1 has the knock-stealing scene. I know purists really hated this because of oh. a certain oh. uh, moment in it. It made you yeah, look. I grew up watching that television show, and I'm sorry. That's just not true. Yeah, uh, but I can get over it because over it. it's an alternate thing. Yeah. Mission Impossible 2 was John Woo with lots of flying doves. That was a lot of fun, but still more of a John Woo movie. Mission Impossible 3, I don't much care for, but if you're a completist, you got to have it. But you know what? The last two, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, have been all, all right, man. They've been great. Uh, Aging Cruz is, is right back in the, in the scene, and uh, all that stuff shot in Dubai for, uh, for Ghost Protocol and, uh, and all that underwater stuff for, uh, for Rogue Nation is just absolutely terrific. These movies are fantastic, and I enjoy them all. They're loaded with extras here. The extras are on Blu-ray, I should point out. The, uh, the 4K is strictly for a, a separate disc of the original movie. But here's the best part. Ultraviolet, folks. You get to uh, add all these to your Ultraviolet library, and if you don't want to have to load that 4K disc in every time, if you got your iPad with you or your mm. phone, and you feel you want to get your juice from Cruise, you can do it anytime, anywhere, anyway mm. with Ultraviolet. Hopefully they, m they merge into movies anywhere at some point. But for now, we still have uh, Ultraviolet for Paramount movies. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're going to do some of these? Yeah. From Kino. Wrap it up. Uh, and, and, and this in particular is interesting to me. This is uh, personal problems from uh, Bill Gunn, very interesting Bill Gunn. Uh, this is his sort of uh, take uh, on a sort of John Cassavetes style of filmmaking. Uh, here, it's, it's really a, a, a film that's just people talking more than any, anything else, written by... Written by Ismail Reed with Vertime Grosvenor, uh, mm. uh, and, and you know you people who listen to a lot of NPR probably know remember Vertime from when she would do those little yeah. food sessions and cooking sessions on NPR. Uh, but Vertime was uh, quite an extraordinary young actress, and that's what this is. Uh, in, in a very interesting, you know, uh, Bill Gunn. 
uh, uh, was an avant-garde black director 40, 45 years ago. Uh, right, right in the same school of, um, oh, Melvin Van Peebles, I guess you could put him ba back there with, and Charles Burnett, probably precedes Charles Burnett by a couple of years. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, really, really interesting stuff um, um, from, from him. This is full of all kinds of astounding special features. And a wonderful, wonderful music, uh, 1973. Of course, Bill Gunn, also the wonderful horror film, Ganja and Hess and all. So really, really great stuff. So if you're, if, if you're into this kind of stuff, um, you definitely want to check that out. Uh, then we have uh, Prefontaine, Jared Leto Prefontaine, <laughs> one, of the era, one of the wonderful early movies. There were a couple of these. That do were do I get to tell my Robert Town story again? Oh, please again? do, yeah. <laughs> tell it every please single do. time. Directed by Steve James, by the way. Steve James, uh, the wonderful uh, documentarian. Yeah, Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams. Yeah. This was the first of the, the Steve Prefontaine movies that I saw, and Steve James does an interesting thing here. Uh, Arlie Ermey of Full Metal Jacket plays the, the Donald Sutherland part from Beyond Limits, which is the uh, Robert Town film. Right. And, you know, the guy, what's his name? The coach who, who founded Nike. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and that was the first one I saw, and which is done in kind of a, a red style, right? So there's a lot of uh, fake documentary interview, direct mm -hmm. address stuff to break it up. So it feels a little bit docudrama-like. Kind of Haskell wexler -y. Yeah, and I love it. I, yeah. I really enjoyed this. I thought uh, he nailed it. I thought he captured that kind of psychotic uh, obsessiveness of Prefontaine, which yeah. apparently is not really the real guy. And that's why when the publicist told Robert Town, uh, you know, I was going to interview Robert Town for the thing, Wade liked the other one better. Which, you know, it just ratted uh, you out. Just ratted me out and got in. And town was like, "Oh, I'll show him." So you know, I got there and he wanted me to see that Billy Crudup really captured the real Steve Fontaine. Uh. Fontaine. So there I am in Robert Town's house with the you know his Christmas tree uh, all lit up and 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 I didn't even get to interview him for twenty minutes because he just loaded the VCR up with tape and was showing me oh, that's the real Steve Fontaine <laughs> and that's Billy Crudup. That's Steve. That's Billy. That's Steve. That's Billy. That's Steve. Can't tell him apart, can you? Can't uh, tell him apart. I'm like, no, I, I can't. You're right. Your movie's better. Can we have an interview now? Yeah, would you leave me you know, alone? Leave me alone. Stop <laughs> picking on me. It was so unbelievable. That's uh, great. Uh, anyway, so anyway, this is I still like this film. This is a great film. Uh, audio commentary uh, from uh, Steve James, uh, and it, so that's that. That's the most important thing that's on here. Great movie. Uh, yo, young Jared Leto doing his thing, man. And, and this was kind of the first big movie that he was a part of, actually. I mean, this is. This is what really put. Isn't it weird now that Jared Leto has an Oscar, but Billy Crudup still doesn't? Yeah, Be, without limits. Yeah, without limits. Sorry, without limits. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, isn't weird that yeah. Jared Leto has an yeah. Oscar and Billy Crudup? Yeah. But without, yeah, it's, it's it, without so limits. you know, it's just it, I don't know. It's weird. Man, between the I, two I of them, to be honest, I like that one better. I, I screwed up the title, and Robert Towns, he's going to send a hitman. It's okay, Robert. Without limits, just relax. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to I'm going to turn around one day, and it's going to be Polanski. He's going to pull a knife on me. Just like in China. Man. What's funny is, dude, uh, that was 20 years ago. Without I limits know. is 98. What year? Yeah. What year was that one? I think this was 97. 97. 97. So yeah. with that one, then the other. Yeah. It's like yeah. the Entebbe movies. Yeah. This is the first one <laughs> yeah. out of the. Right. Uh, and then uh, we've got three from the Warner Archive collection: two DVD-Rs, and then one on Blu-ray. The one on Blu-ray, you gotta get this. It's Designing Woman, with Gregory Peck and Lauren Bacall. Uh, it's on Blu-ray. It is just absolutely wonderful. Another classic film produced by Dori Shari and directed by the great Vincent Minnelli. This is an absolutely delightful classic uh, from 1957. You just you, you, you gotta get it. There are just certain movies, certain classic movies you have to have if they're on Blu-ray, and this is one of them. 
Uh, it's just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful look at a certain cosmopolitan uh, melodramatic milieu from the 1950s. If you've watched Mad Men, if you know that whole world, uh, you know it's a basically it's about a, a sports writer and his you know fashion designer wife, and it's melodramatic, but it's so classic Hollywood. It's so beautifully done, and all the supporting parts are so fantastic. Especially you know Dolores Gray is great. Uh, Chuck Connors is in this. Mickey Shaughnessy. There, it's just yeah, this is classic. Those. It's just it, you just sit there and you just soak in all of the classic Hollywoodness of this thing. How well directed it is. How beautifully photographed it is. It's just superb. And there's even a little documentary uh, on this in the special features. It's really really cool. And it's just so. It's just Hollywood, man. Uh, the other two, the straight-up DVD-Rs, are uh, older movies. One is A Modern Hero with Richard Bartholmus. Uh, this is from 1934. This is not. This is technically a pre-code film, but there's nothing necessarily pre-code-ish about it. It's directed by G.W. Pabst, one of the uh, one of the great silent uh, German directors who came over from the uh, from the uh, German Expressionist era and continue to do really, really good work. And uh, Richard Bartholmus is. Uh, is really terrific in this. Uh, it's it's just a it's a wonderful period epic um, done in the 1930s style. So it's very kind of constrained in studio. You can tell that the the sound constraints are sort of uh, not great for the overall filmmaking. But Pabst makes the best of it, and it's worth watching just because it is Pabst. Um, the other one is an old Robert Z. Leonard movie from 1943 called The Man from Down Under and uh, this is one of, this was an MGM film originally and you watch this basically because you just want to watch Charles Lawton be absolutely amazing. Uh, this takes place between World War One and World War Two and uh, it's uh, about a you know this this amazing guy named Jocko who adopts a couple of kids and uh, and raises them and it, you're watching this essentially for the tearjerker aspect of it for the wonderful, wonderful acting of Charles Lawton, who is just beyond compare. Donna Reed is in this as well, really great supporting cast. Uh, but Charles Lawton is just, he, he's beyond compare. And uh, where it goes at the end, it just, it's one, just one of those wonderful melodramatic movies from the 1940s. It just it fires on all cylinders. It's mm. great. Man from Down Under, Charles Lawton. I should have mentioned this one back when we were talking about those other two running yeah. movies. But I actually remember watching this movie in 1979 on television. This was Michael Mann's first, it was a television movie, but it was a feature-length film. Yeah. Uh, the Jericho Mile, Michael uh, 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 Peter Strauss in this film, um, and the thing that I love about this film um, is is that it is in fact an original story. But this film was done in, in Michael Mann's that, that almost documentary style that he was doing. You know, right, yeah. right, right, right. Next, I think sure. he, did, he did Thief next, and then next yep. thing you know, it's uh, Miami Vice and all that stuff that he was doing down there. And this is such a neat story. It was about this uh, this guy who was serving a, a life sentence in Folsom for killing his own father, Peter Strauss playing the character and all he did was just run he just yeah. run and run and run and then the prison officials uh, they started time and they figured this dude's from the break of four minute mile right. uh, and they started lobbying him to uh, the, sure. the, the olympics and he decided he starts training for the olympics and it's really a really intense and powerful movie and it's an original story it's not based on a true story Love but it's it. but it has to sort of same way now this movie this movie, Richard Lawson, uh, and I got to tell you, for black folks, Richard Lawson was the equivalent of like Sidney Poitier or yeah. whoever uh, on you know in television, all that kind of sure. stuff back in the day. Yeah. Uh, the handsome young black actor back in the in this movie, Roger E. Mosley, of course, was going to be in uh, 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 yeah, T.C. Uh, and uh, Brian Dennehy is in this movie, 
Ed Lauder is in this movie. Beverly Todd is in this movie. Miguel so Pinheiro is in this movie. Miguel, that's we're, a we're lot just, of great character actor actors. Talent. Just, 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 just yeah. eating it up in this movie. Back in the day, you would yeah. see. That's what we were talking about before about actors. Yeah. Back in the day, films with actors as opposed right. to uh, today, they would be like eight above the line movie stars. Yeah. Uh, in those characters, back in the day, was these wonderful actors. Anyway, this is a really neat Fantastic. movie too. Uh, audio commentary from film historian uh, Lee Gambon on it, and, uh, and it's uh, an, uh, an HD restoration from the original camera negative. It was a television movie, so it has that, you know, it's, a, it's, yeah. a, it's one through three, but it's great. You can check it out. Fantastic. Yeah, All right, that does it for us this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, keep watching the World Cup if you're a soccer fan. Otherwise, watch some of the stuff we recommended, and uh, we'll be back next week. I really am boring, Dr. Who.